you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Matthew 7. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one under one of the seats near you. I encourage you to follow along. If you're just here kind of checking out church or Christianity, we're glad that you're here. There's a bookshelf in the foyer that has Bibles and other Christian materials back there. Just pick up anything that is of interest to you. We're just glad that you're coming to hang out with what the Bible calls a strange people. That is, that is us. So... We're going to be looking at just one verse this morning, um, but don't expect to get out real early. It's just, you know me. <laughs> so, and that verse is going to be Matthew 7, 12. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's a table of contents in the beginning, and Matthew is the first gospel or book of the New Testament, and we're going to be chapter 7, and we're in what is called the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. To me, we are at that part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is concluding his main body of his teaching. And uh, he gives us a, a really significant and important teaching here. How many of you feel that life is pretty complex? There's a lot of decisions you have to make. world is confusing, and it would be wonderful just to be able to simplify it down a lot, Right? And I think humans have been looking for a way to simplify things for a long time, right? Uh, Einstein had his trying to come up with a unified field theory, something that would deal with all the fundamental forces in the universe and bring those all into one theory. As far as I know, they haven't done that yet, but we do that as well. We, we try to distill a whole lot down into maybe just a few words so that we can actually go through life not having to remember a zillion things. And so there's all sorts of witty sayings that people come up with that kind of, you know, embrace a life philosophy or give you something to go on that you can actually remember, right? Um, so there's been some since I've been around, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? Okay, so that's one. Not all of these are good, but they reflect the philosophy of the person um, in who's saying these things. Look out for number one, all right? That's another big one. If you want it done well, do it yourself. That's Napoleon credited with that one. Plato, and this may not be familiar to you, but there is truth in wine and children, right? So the idea that if you want the truth, after a few glasses of Chablis and it may come out or talk to a child, you'll usually get it. Um, he who hesitates is lost, right? Early to bed, early to rise. All right. Give him an inch and he'll... Okay, see, so you guys are doing really well with this. Good things come to those who don't get mad, get even. For you carpenters out there, measure twice, cut once. All right, good. A penny saved is a, the early bird, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Think about that a little bit. So all these, there are caveats to all of these, right? But... It's this process of, you know, the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. We want to reduce things down to some manageable form, and it's, it's not new to us. You know, all the way back in the Torah, um, the Jews are given, depending on who and what Jewish scholar you talk to, either 611 or 613 commands. 
I tend to go with 611 because Hebrew, like the Roman alphabet, each letter has a numerical value, and if you add up the letters in Torah, it adds up to 611. So I think the people that put this together are brilliant, and so I think there's some design in there. But there's a story in the Talmud of two kind of celebrity rabbis at the time of Jesus. One was Shammai and one was Hillel. You may have heard those names. Shammai was the more conservative one, and Hillel was more on the liberal side of things. And there's a story of a Gentile that was looking at Judaism and maybe wanting to become a convert to Judaism. So he went to these rabbis and said, basically, if you can sum up the Torah while I stand on one leg, I will become a Jew. Shammai, the more conservative one, supposedly got out a stick and started to beat the man, get out of here, and he headed out. Then he goes to Hillel, and so he starts standing on his leg, and Hillel says this, what is hateful to you, do not do to your brother. That is the whole Torah. All the rest is commentary. So Hillel gives him the statement, what is hateful to you, do not do to your brother. That's the whole Torah, that word for instruction or teaching. It's often translated law. Everything else is kind of a commentary on that. And we hear that saying, and it's, you know, it kind of rings out. I know I've heard that before. And, and this was a common saying among many religions. Confucius says this, Whatever you do not want to do to others to do to you, do not do to them. So the same thing, bad things that you don't want to happen to you, don't do those to other people. And the Greek Stoic philosophers had basically the exact same saying. So this was a saying that was going around at that time. And a kind of, this is the way you should organize your life. This is how kind of your moral ethic should work. And I think Jesus being a brilliant teacher and... He's completing the end of his sermon here, and so he's coming up with a saying that sounds a lot like these guys' sayings, but again, to me, as you look at it closely, it is really radically different. So I want to read this saying and then talk a little bit about it. Again, in Matthew 7:12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is, or this sums up, the law and the prophets. So Jesus, it's really similar to what Confucius said and to what Rabbi Hillel said and to what the Greek Stoic philosophers said. And on first hearing, you think, wow, this is almost the same thing, but I think there's a radical difference. Did you hear what that was? Jesus phrases this in a positive way where the others were framing it in a negative way. And as you look at this, to me, Jesus is at the point where he's, in essence, summarizing his Sermon on the Mount. Your translation verse starts in verse 12. Some will say, so. Other translations will say, therefore. So when you see that, it's like, okay, what is, you know, what is that therefore? What is the point of this? And to me, you can say, okay, this points back to just the previous section that we looked at last week about asking, seeking, and knocking, and know that we've got a good father that delights to give good gifts to his children and say, because that's a reality, because God is going to treat you that way, therefore you have the ability because God's going to provide for you, you act in the same way towards other people. And I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot of truth in that. 
But my feeling is this is kind of a summary of the whole main body of the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the end of this verse, it says, for this is the law and the prophets. If you go back a couple chapters in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 17, at the beginning of this section, it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So I think this is what literary scholars call an inclusio. If you want to be really uh, educated, say, oh, this is an inclusio. Basically, an inclusio are bookends. It marks in a section of writing the beginning and end of a section. Basically, as this was written down, the original was all capital letters and there were no spaces. Writing was really, really expensive. You generally had to hire a scribe, the paper was really expensive, so you didn't waste any space. So one of the ways that writers would communicate, this is a section that I want you to think of kind of as a coherent section together. They would put a kind of literary marker at the beginning and a literary marker at the end. And so I think this is basically what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what summarizes the law and the prophets. And so we've got this introduction to the sermon where we have what's classically called the Beatitudes. Who is the kingdom available to? Well, it's available to the poor in spirit. It's not just the people that have it together. In fact, it's the people that don't have it together that this kingdom is available to you. For those of you who mourn, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but you don't have it yet, so that's who the kingdom is available to. And then he says, when you become part of that kingdom, you're to be salt and light. You're to be an influence in the world at large. And then he says, basically, that's what that looks like. This is how I've come, and I haven't come to forget the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill the Old Testament. So to me, here is this, this bookend, and he says at the end, okay, whatever you want others to do for you, do for them. That is the law and the prophets. If you want to see another example of Matthew using this kind of bookending process, look at verse 23 of chapter 4. Jesus says, he, And he went throughout all Galilee, speaking of Jesus, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among people. Then turn over to chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. See any similarity there? So here we have this whole section of Scripture that I think Matthew is marking out. Okay, this is what Jesus did. He came and he preach the gospel of the kingdom, and so I think the content of the gospel of the kingdom is what we pick up in chapters 5 through 7. That's Jesus' message, and if you look at your Bible, it's probably the largest red section of your Bible if you have a red-letter Bible that marks out Jesus' words in red. But then in chapters 8 and 9, we see all sorts of evidence of Jesus' healing and miracles. So I think here is Matthew saying, okay, this is what this section is going to be about. Jesus is going about preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, the Sermon on the Mount, that's what it looks like. And he was healing and doing miracles throughout this hour. Okay, that's chapters 8 and 9. So to me, when we come to verse 12 of chapter 7, 
Matthew's letting us know, okay, this is kind of this end, the bookmark of the end of the sermon. After this sermon, it goes on for a little bit longer, but basically the point of the next section is take this stuff seriously. Don't just hear these words, put them into practice. There's not new content in terms of what Jesus delivers there, but just an exhortation to take this stuff seriously and to begin to live it out in our lives. So as he summarizes here, Jesus says, this is what it's all about. Whatever you wish to do that others would do to you, do also to them. Jesus was once asked, and this is in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? And how does he respond? To love God, right? With all your heart, soul, and mind. That's from Deuteronomy 6.5. And what was the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus 19.18. So here Jesus seems to be focusing on what's called the second half of the Ten Commandments, those parts of the commandments that deal with our relationships. And he says, basically, The whole law is summed up, all those commands, the 613 or 611 plus the rest of the Old Testament. When you see law and prophets, that's a shorthand way of referring to the Old Testament. Sometimes it's law, prophets, and writings. Sometimes the author will just use law and prophets. So he says, basically, you want to know about that? Let me give my unified field theory here. Whatever you wish that others would do for you, do for them. Paul seemed to grasp this reality as well. If you turn over, we're going to jump around a little bit today, but we're only doing one verse. Turn over to Romans chapter 13. And in this context, Paul is dealing with a church that's having a hard time getting along. Verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this world. In this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul says, you want a summary of what it means? Love your neighbor as yourself. That summarizes the whole thing. Turn over to the book of Galatians a few books later. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Again, written in the context of a church that was struggling to get along. Verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And again, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So two times there, Paul says this is the summary of the law. This is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do we do that? What does that look like? Love is kind of a nebulous concept. And I have a friend that always says, you need to explain what love means, right? So what is love? And it's a really hard concept to get our heads around, but what does love look like in life? And I think that's what Jesus gives us here in the Sermon on the Mount. You want to know what love looks like in action? Do to others what you would have them do to you. And to me, again, this is radically different than the negative kind of don't do to others what you don't want them 
to do to you. To me, Jesus is not just ripping off previous rabbis and Confucius and the Greek Stoics, but as far as we know, this is the first time that any teacher put this command in a positive way. And I think there's some reasons for that. But to me, again, as you look at this, this is like, okay, this is what Jesus, this is what it's all about. And we often talk a lot about relationships, but you see in this command the importance of relationships. That's what the law is about, right relationship with one another. And how do we love one another? Well, we love one another by, in essence, putting ourselves in their shoes and saying, Lord, how would that person want to be treated? And then to go ahead and treat them in that way. I think there's three basically kind of relational ethics that there are out there in the world. The first I'm going to call the toddler rule. The toddler rule is do to others what they will do to you, right? They smack you, you smack them back, right? They take your toy, you take theirs and more, right? This is the don't get mad, get even philosophy of relationships, right? And this is where, frankly, a lot of people in the world are. All right? You're nice to me. I'm nice to you. You do something bad to me, man, there's going to be hell to pay in your life, right? So I'm here, and to me, this is kind of a, the lowest form of ethics. And then what is called the silver rule, and that would be the rule of Confucius and the rule of Rabbi Hillel, basically, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. To me, this is more the live and let live rule, right? You don't mess with me, I won't mess with you, and that's, that's an improvement over, in essence, the toddler rule, but it's not where Jesus lands, right? Because in seeking to fulfill that negative command, we don't have to do anything, do we? We just have to abstain from harming anybody else. I can move to the side of a mountain, bring my books, read there my whole life, and according to the silver rule, man, I'm doing great. But Jesus says there's more to it than that. And I think our culture tends to live in the toddler rule or the silver rule, right? And then Jesus takes it to what is called the golden rule. Now, the reason it's called the Golden Rule is because in the second century, there was a Roman emperor, Alexander Severus, who heard this and was totally impressed with Jesus' rule. So he had it put up in his palace in gold on the side of a wall. So that's where it gets the name Golden Rule. The Golden Rule is not he who has the gold makes the rules. That's a different Golden Rule, but this is a Golden Rule. And even a pagan emperor recognized, wow, this is a step up in ethics beyond the silver rule, beyond what our Stoic philosophers said. There's a huge difference between not doing something nasty or harmful to somebody else and doing something beneficial for them that would meet a need in their life. And that's what Jesus is getting at. You don't want to know how to love your neighbor, then put yourself in their shoes and seek to do for them what you would want done for you if you were in their situation. Now, that's 
pretty easy to understand, right? This is not one of those teachings where like, what is in the world is they talking about here? No, no, this is really evident and obvious. The problem comes and the challenge comes with what? Living this out in our lives, right? And so there are some authors that will say, well, no, this is just for believers, right? This is just doing nice things to believers and, and don't worry about people out there. The problem is that the word for others Jesus uses here is the word anthropoi. It refers to humankind, right? It's not Adelphoi, that brotherly, sisterly love, but it's like due to others, and I'm talking all others. People that agree with you, people that are on the same page politically and theologically, religiously, socially, it does not matter, Jesus says. My call to you, if you're going to live out my kingdom ethic in this world, is to do for others what you would have them do to you. And to me, this is clearly significant because we see this emphasized over and over in the New Testament, right? But it's one of those sayings that just we're really familiar with, right? And I think, okay, Lord, how does this become real in my life? And I have to ask myself, what sayings am I living by in my life? And to examine that and say, okay, with how I'm living my life, would someone get a clue that I'm seeking to follow Jesus' summary of the Sermon on the Mount that I'm doing to them what I would have done to me? When I'm on social media, do my responses indicate how I would want to be responded to there? Let's bring it home. You're in a disagreement with your spouse. Are you responding to that person (laughs) in the way that you would want to be responded to? With, yeah, okay. There's some that claim, I'm doing this perfectly. We have an example right here in India. Talk to her afterwards because she's got it down. But again, the reality is, imagine if we actually sought to apply this in every situation in our life with our boss, with those that may work for us, with fellow students and with our professors, with our parents and with our kids. You want to be encouraged. All right. Do you encourage others? You're lonely. Are you willing to invite somebody else out? You want to be listened to. Are you willing to listen. You want to be appreciated. Do you appreciate others? You enjoy receiving. Are you willing to give? To me, this is one of these things that is so simple in our understanding of it, but would be so radically transformational if we actually sought to do this regularly. And so, before sending that email off or firing off that social media post or responding in a snarky, sarcastic way to that person that's irritating you, I want to ask you just to pause for a second because we get in a lot of trouble because we don't pause, right? We, we just move right into 
confrontation because the person has said or done something that needs to be responded to. And then to pray. We just got through with a section where Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. Because this is not going to be natural for us to act in this way, right? If someone bows up at me, my natural... I'm going to bow right back. And so if I go with my initial gut reaction at that moment and fire that thing off or say that thing, then it's usually not going to produce anything positive. And then after praying... Because again, this is not natural. This is not something we're going to do. This is a new ethic of Jesus. It's an ethic that requires action, not just non-action. I need to seek to empathize with this other person. Lord, help me to see whatever situation, whatever issue is going on from their perspective. I might not agree with it, but Lord, help me as best I can to understand and empathize with that other person. To walk a mile, or maybe even a block, or maybe even just a few steps in their shoes. And then finally, to act. To actually do that thing that God's Spirit prompts you to do in that moment that would reflect, this is how I would love to be treated if I was in that person's shoes. Again, imagine what this would do in your marriage, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, and your friends. And lest this become just, oh, I'm just gonna be a nice person. This does not mean not saying things that are difficult for the person to hear at times. If someone is heading their life in a direction that I know from the word of God is going to lead to destruction and death in their life. If I was in their situation and if I was in their shoes, I would want somebody, if that was the ultimate destination they were going to, to say, hey, Brett, you may want to take a look at this and reconsider the direction you're going. Because that in essence, is what I would want done to me if my life was going to head in a direction that God's word said is ultimately going to lead to destruction. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to give them life and that life to the full. God wants us full and flourishing in life. But there's a way that often seems right to us that we're blinded to. There's an immediate payoff. There's some immediate pleasure or elimination of pain. So I'm going to go in that direction. And someone who is doing for the other person what they would have done to them, would want somebody to come and say, hey, I know that's providing you some instant temporary relief, but ultimately you're going to sow the wind right now and you're going to reap the tornado. It's going to be difficult. So my prayer is that you would switch direction in your life. See, the silver rule never requires me to get involved in anybody's life. I don't have to have those hard conversations. I can just sit back and just live and let live, man. I'm going to do you no harm. If you want to blow up your life, go ahead, blow it up. I don't have to get involved. But the golden rule says you need to go with truth in a gentle and loving way and bring that truth to the other person, and it may not go well. See, the golden rule requires us to risk relationships sometime. And that's something that we find really hard. And in essence, we should find really hard. 
I get really nervous about people that just want to go and confront people all the time. <laughs> it's my ministry, <laughs> right? To get in people's faces and tell them how wrong they are. <laughs> well, yeah, we all mess up. Galatians 6, right? We all can get snared and trapped by sin. But what's the kind of person that the Lord wants in that situation to go with gentleness and understanding, knowing that, man, you too in one day probably will be in need of correction. And how do you want someone to come and speak to you about that correction? So Jesus moves us to an ethical level that I think is way above the toddler rule, way above the silver rule, and says, okay, if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, what that looks like is I want the best for that other person regardless of personal cost. And to me, what's the ultimate demonstration of that love? That concern for doing the best for the other person. It's Christ, right? Who was willing to bear my sin and my guilt on the cross so that I could experience life and to offer that to me free of charge, as a gift, simply when I turn and say, Jesus Christ, I am trusting that sacrifice has paid for my sin. And he wants relationship with us. And then after entering into that relationship, he's saying, I want you to be those kind of people as well as you walk through this world. Let me ask you a question. you think Christians are known for being this kind of people? Sadly, often we're not. And I know there's a lot of media bias in there and the the worst example of a christian in the world they'll show and say see all christians are like this screaming hateful person right here so i know that but i think man like paul we're doing it let's do a lot better at this because to me this is the marker of what it means to be a follower of jesus christ he says this is the law and the prophets you want to know what it means to live in the ethic of the kingdom to live as a child of god in the midst of this world do unto others what you would have them do to you it's not complicated to understand it's just extremely challenging to apply and as we look at Jesus' life, we see his life characterized by this. And we see Jesus sometimes saying some really hard things to people, right? His conversations with the Pharisees sometimes get pretty testy. I've not called anybody and a group of people a brood of vipers recently, but Jesus did that, right? So I have to say that Jesus is doing this because this is what he's calling me to do and he's living life perfectly, so why is he doing that? He's doing that to wake them up and to say the direction you're going, thinking that you have it all together and you're righteous enough to stand before the God of this universe is not the direction you should be going. You're pretending to be religious, you're pretending to be righteous while you're ignoring the deeper, meatier aspects of following God, justice and mercy. And yeah, you're tithing 10% of your spearmint. Great. Don't stop doing that, but start acting with justice and kindness and mercy towards other people. So what sayings are you living by? And what sayings would those who live around you say you're living by? Because it's really easy, I think, we have this tendency to deceive ourselves, right? How many people do you hear saying, oh, I'm living by the golden rule. I'm just, really? 
Okay, let me say, let me talk to your wife, let me talk to your kids, let me talk to your husband, let me talk to your coworkers. Let's see how consistently this is being lived out. This isn't insignificant. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. I'm not blowing away the Old Testament, but this is the fulfillment of this, and that is how you love your neighbor as yourself. You do to them what you would have them do to you. So again, this is something we need to wrestle with before the Lord and also recognize, man, there's no way we're going to do this without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why the previous section was just about prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Go to God and say, this is not the kind of person that I am. When I get cut off on the road, my tendency isn't, oh, there's plenty of space on this highway. Why don't you come in ahead of me? Fine. Don't use your signal. Fine. Just, right? That, that's not. And I think for all of us, it's a silly example, but that's how we act in life, right? Somebody says something that rubs us the wrong way. All these kind of things, to me, need to be taken under this, I want to do for that other person what I want done for me. And that's generally not my first response and my initial reaction. So that's to me where I, I got to pause. I got to pray. I got to put myself in one sense in their shoes and I got to ask myself, Lord, what would I want done to me if I was in their shoes? And then Jesus says, you got to do it. That's the difference between the silver and golden rule. The silver rule, I can be totally inactive. The golden rule requires me to move out in love towards other people. I cannot be a hermit and live out the golden rule. Sorry for you introverts out there, but that's the reality. Life is about relationship, and our relationships need to be guided by this principle. And again, to me, in one sense, this is really freeing. I don't have to remember the 611 or 613 commands and all this kind of stuff. What I need to ask is, God, by your spirit, help me in this situation to do for this other person what I would want done for me. And then give me the power to do this because I do not want to do it on my own. And then to trust that God will do that and to step out in action and actually do it. And I think as we do this, Jesus says, when we're doing this among ourselves, says, the world's going to know that I'm in your midst. By this, all men will know you're my followers if you love one another. How do we know we're loving one another? We know we're loving one another if we're doing for that other person what we would want done for us. Not confusing, not difficult to understand. We just need the grace and the power and the strength of God to put it into practice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and for these summaries that you give in your word sometimes. Like in Micah, what do you require that we do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with you? And here Jesus summarizing the ethic of how we're to relate to one another in this simple saying that what we want done to us we're to do for other people. Lord, help us to be these kind of people. Help us to live out this ethic of your kingdom. Lord, we recognize that we do not have the resources on our own 
Yet, Lord, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, for living rightly with one another. So we come and we ask you to be generous and gracious with us once again to help us become the kind of people that we're not by the power of your Spirit. Lord, if there's any relationships that have popped up in people's mind that your Spirit is prompting them to, to make right, I just pray that uh, that prompting would be followed through on and would be acted upon so that we would truly love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, help us, we pray. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness if we depend on you. So, Lord, we come and we ask for you to fill us so that we can truly live in a way that will reflect your character and your kingdom to those around us. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name I pray. Amen. Amen.